Hey everyone, welcome to Tom French Preaching. This is the podcast of me, Tom French, preaching. I'm a guy who lives in Melbourne and does Bible talks for youth and other people around Australia and all over the internet. To celebrate the release of my new book of devotions on Ephesians for the next little while here on the podcast, I'm going to be releasing talks through the entire book of Ephesians. These talks have been preached in church services, on camps, and in other contexts, and some of them are as old as 2015, some as recent as 2022. Some have been on the podcast before, and some of them are brand new. If you like the talks, hopefully you'll love the devotions. There are 40 days of readings, and they'll take you through the entire book of Ephesians. You can order the book now by heading to tomfrench.com.au forward slash Ephesians. All right, that's all for now. I hope you enjoy the talk. All right, so as I've mentioned, this is a controversial passage. And one of the things about uh, this passage, the reason why it's controversial uh, is because of these two ideas early on in the passage, saying that wives should submit to their husbands and their husbands are the head of their wives. A lot of people spend a lot of time stressing about this. And the reason that people stress about it is not because they don't understand what the passage says. The reason why people stress about it seems to be because they understand what the passage says. We understand what this says, we know what it says, and we don't like what it says. It rubs us up the wrong way, and so it becomes controversial. Now, before we get into what this passage actually means, I want to point out that if the Bible says something that you don't like, then that is good. It is good for the Bible to offend you. It is important that the Bible offends you. If the Bible is offensive, then that means that there's a better chance that it is telling you the truth. When you're on Facebook, chances are sometimes there are ads that come up, or if, you're on, or if you click a link on Facebook to some you know, um, you know, clickbait article, there'll be a picture on the side and it'll be like, you know, Melbourne mum finds weight loss secret with easy pill. And you're meant to go and click on it and go and read about the Melbourne mum who found the weight loss secret. Have you know that? Have you seen the Melbourne mum? Who has, and usually it's not a Melbourne mum, it's someone from a, a suburb near, so like a Ringwood mum. Because Ringwood mums, they know a lot about you know, weight loss secrets. And you know that what it's going to say, you'll be like, you know, take this pill and then you'll lose weight. It'll be amazing. And we all, you know, want to, you know, find some of that. Take this pill and lose weight or, you know, do this easy diet where all you get to do is eat Big Macs and you'll be really fit and have great abs. And we like these, you know, we like this idea, but we know that it's not true because it just tells us what we want to hear. When it just tells us, you know, just do nothing, just take this pill, just, you know, do the easiest thing possible, and your life will be perfect. Like, no, that's rubbish. You're lying to me. You're just telling me what I want to hear. It's not true. And the Bible doesn't tell us what we want to hear. If it just told us what we want to hear, then we can be like, well, maybe it's not true. It's just pandering to us. It's just telling us what we want to hear, so we will, you know, like, yeah, I follow the Bible because it says nice things. But if the Bible says to you things that you don't like, then there's a much better chance that it's true. Because it's saying, it's not trying to win your affection, it's just trying to tell you what is true. And the Bible will say things which is offensive to us now, but it also says things which are offensive to people in other times, in other cultures. There is something offensive in the Bible for everyone, which makes it a great book. 
So be willing to be offended by the Bible. And when you get offended, say, this is good. Because if this is God speaking to me, he finds the things in me which are not aligned with his will and he is offending me with them so that I can align myself to his will. So let's, let's move on. Now, what I think this passage gives to us is it gives to us a picture of God's purpose for marriage. We spend a lot of time when we're thinking about marriage, like, what is marriage about? Who is it for? And I think what we're going to find when we look at this passage is that marriage is not for wives. And marriage is not for husbands. Marriage is for the gospel. That's what I think we'll hopefully see as we go through the passage. The first thing I said was marriage is not for wives. When you read this passage, you may be like, well, that's blindingly obvious. Of course, marriage is not for wives. Look at what it says that the wives must do. It says, wives, submit to your husband, your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. If, if the Bible is saying that, that wives should just you know, be under the rule of men, then of course, you know, this marriage is not for wives. And the thing about this uh, passage is a number of things to pay attention to. One is that you know, this, this offends us and this upsets us because we live in a culture where to say things like this is wrong. We live in a culture where we've, uh, there's been a lot of uh, movement and good movement towards equality between men and women. Uh, we live in a culture where we pay attention to things which seem sexist and we say, oh, that's a problem, and alarm bells go off, and we don't like it when things seem un-PC. And so, you know, this, this passage is something that is going to bring up issues for us. But there are some things to point out first. One is that this passage is not saying that women must submit to men. It's not saying that men are the head of women. This is not a message to all women about all men. And that's important because it's not saying that there's a, you know, a, a specific difference between everyone. It is talking specifically to specific wives, who, that specific wives submit to their specific husband. So it's not like all wives submit to all husbands, all women submit to all men. It's that a wife submits to her own husband. And that's it. It's one person that the passage is telling the wife to submit to. Uh, the second thing that the saying is it is talking to wives. It's not talking to husbands. Paul does not say, husbands, make your wife submit to you. It's not saying that. He's saying to wives, wives, submit to your husbands. And it's up to the wife to choose to submit to her husband. There is no instruction to the husband to rule over his wife. Instruction is to the wife to choose voluntarily to submit herself to her husband. It is a voluntary choice, an instruction given to her, not to the husband. Uh, the next thing uh, that we, should, we have to notice is that, you know, while we look at this and we say that seems really backwards and old-fashioned, what this is, this is part of the Bible's move towards liberation of women. And you might say, oh, that doesn't seem right to me. Well, when we look at the Bible in its historical context, it makes a bit more sense. So in the, in the time that Paul was writing, and just before it, the, the, the plight of women was a lot worse than it is today. Women were seen as perpetual liars. Women were seen as being inferior to men 
being not as smart as men, not having as many abilities as men. There was a prayer that Jewish men would often say, where they would say, pray to God, and they would say, thank you God that I was not born a Gentile or a woman. And that's, that's an offensive prayer to pray. In, uh, in Bible times, men would be expected to have a mistress to give them a good time, and a wife to raise the kids and look after the house. And that was seen as acceptable in many parts of society at that time. Uh, what would happen in Jewish society is if a woman was caught in adultery, that she would be found guilty of adultery. If a man cheated on his wife, he wouldn't generally be found guilty of adultery. And the issue was, because women were seen, uh, wives particularly were seen as property of their husbands. And so if a woman cheated on her husband, then she was, uh, she was offending the ownership rights of her husband. And so she'll be found guilty. So things in the time, this time, Bible times, were not good for women. But then along comes Jesus, and Jesus changes everything. We see that, for instance, the, the divorce laws that Jesus speaks about, or he doesn't encourage divorce, he says that if a wife commits adultery against her husband, or a husband commits adultery against his wife, both are reasons that people can get divorced. And what we notice there is that Jesus is saying that husbands and wives are equal partners within the relationship. Both can be sinned against and both can sin. There is equality there between men and women. Also, we see that what happens in the passage, sorry, what happens in Jesus' time, is that when Jesus rises from the dead, the first people to see Jesus are women. The news of the resurrection is entrusted to women who in Bible times will see as, like, like I said, perpetual liars. It would not make sense to do that unless God said, no, women are just as good at telling the good news as men. In fact, they may be better at telling the good news as men, so we're going to appear to women first. And then we see in, uh, in, the, in, the, book, in the books of Paul, where Paul is writing, we see that Paul sees women as equal to men. Uh, often women were uh, expected not to know much, not to be as smart. Uh, and, and then we see that when it got to church times, men and women were seen as equal. Uh, Paul wrote in Galatians that we are all one in Christ Jesus. There is no male or female. We're all one. We have e we're equal in salvation. And this equality works itself out so that women felt so liberated within the new Christian church that they were doing whatever the heck they wanted in church. And so Paul came along and was like, hey, look, Yes, that's great, you know, but maybe women stop shouting to your men across the other side of the church and you can ask your husband a question when you get home. It's not because it's saying women need to be quiet, it's saying women should just, you know, make sure there's a bit of order going on in church because that was what was happening in Corinth at the time. Also, we see in the book of 1 Corinthians that Paul says that when it comes to sex, men and women have, a, or husbands and wives, have an obligation to each other. It's not that one owns the other, but they both own each other. The, the wife owns her husband's body, but her, and her husband owns her body. They are equal partners within the relationship. And so we see here the Bible is revolutionary in what it's doing as it moves towards equality of, of the sexes here. And so we need to keep this in mind so that when we read this, we're not reading it going, oh my goodness, what the heck is Paul doing? But we're reading it going, this is part of the move towards equality. And so then we get to the bit where it tells us, it says, wives, 
should submit to their husbands. But the reason it says you do this is because it says that they do it because uh, as, as they submit to Christ as head. Uh, as it is an image of the churches submitting to Jesus as Lord. So the way that a wife submits to a husband is the same way that we Christians submit to Jesus. Now this does not mean that our wives worship their husbands. That's not what it's saying. And it's not saying that husbands are perfect. That's not what it's saying. And we know that that's not what it's saying because we've all seen husbands. Uh, what it is saying is that though like Christ is an authority within the church, that within marriage, that there is an authority that sits with the husband as head and wives voluntarily submit themselves to the leadership of their husband. And sometimes we don't like this. This still feels bad to us. And I think one of the reasons that this feels bad to us is because one of our biases is that we think that leadership is a better and more important position than a position of submitting. This seems to be, um, this is how we react to, to these things, but leadership is not necessarily any better than being someone who follows. There is no, there is no qualitative difference between a leader or a follower. In fact, you can be someone who is better who submits to someone who is not better than you. We look at Jesus and we see in Jesus someone who is equal to God the Father. But Jesus chooses to submit himself to the will of the Father. They are equal people, but they, they choose to have different roles within the Godhead. But then we see when Jesus comes to earth, he submits himself to human authority and he is ex executed by humans who are clearly inferior to Jesus as God, but Jesus chooses in himself to submit to humans. So submitting does not mean that you are less than the person you are submitting to. It is just, it is equal people with different roles to play, and this is what it's saying. Now within a marriage, we are equal people, but wives choose voluntarily to submit themselves to their husbands. Because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. And it's saying this is what it is. It's not saying this is, this is you know, you get to make a choice about this, this is what it is. The question then is, well, what does this look like in practice? And the great thing is that this passage doesn't give us any clear practice about how wives need to submit to their husbands and practice of what it means for a husband to be head of the wife. It doesn't mean then that because the husband is the head, he gets to make all the decisions. Or it doesn't mean that because the husband is the head, the wife has to go out, has to stay home and look after the kids and do the cleaning while the husband goes out to work. It doesn't mean that the husband should earn all the money. It doesn't mean that the husband makes the big decisions, the wife makes the small decisions. It doesn't mean that the husband gets the big car and the wife gets the small car. It doesn't say what it means. It means we get to choose the practice of wives submitting to their husbands, and we get to choose it within our own individual relationships. Because the Bible is leaving open to be interpreted within particular marriages, at particular times, in whatever context you're in, however it best looks for you. Now the other thing that's important to notice here is that the leadership of the husband is given to the husband by the wife. Because the wife chooses 
how to submit to the husband. Remember, the instruction is to the wife and not to the husband. And so the wife chooses, how can she best choose to submit to her husband? And so she gets to decide what the submitting to her husband looks like. And in a funny way, as she does that, it is the husband who then submits to his wife's submission. So the husband's leadership, he is no, it's not like he's any more or less ahead, depending on how the wife chooses to respond to her husband. But what it does mean is that it's the wife's choice. The husband, he has to love. The wife chooses to submit. The husband is commanded to love his wife. And so when we look at this, as the wife decides to sit under the leadership of her husband, however that looks within the marriage, that this marriage for her is not about her. It's about her choosing to give up part of herself for her husband, to throw her lot in with her husband. And so marriage is not for her. Marriage is not for the wife. Marriage is not for the fulfillment of the wife, for the benefit of the wife, though there is fulfillment and benefit in there. But it's her giving herself up for her husband. Marriage is not for wives. But just as we said, marriage is also not for husbands either. When we look at the passage, we see what it says to husbands. Have a look. It says this on verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle in any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. The model for the love of a husband for the wife is the love of Christ for the church. Now we would think that if a wife is told to submit, then perhaps the, the um, command to a husband would be to rule his wife. Wives submit to your husbands, husbands rule your wives. But it doesn't say that it says, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. And so what do we know about the story of Jesus, about how Jesus loved the church? Jesus did not come down and dominate the church. He did not come and find the disciples and whip them into shape and tell them off and berate them and, and command them around until they were exactly what he wanted them to be. He gently loved them. He gently served them and he gave himself up for them. How does Jesus love us? He loves us gently. He loves us carefully. He, hold, he brings us into his family. And he does it by giving himself up at the cross for us. Jesus loves by losing his life. And so the way a husband loves is by giving himself up. <laughs> By always living for the benefit of his wife. By helping her to be the best that she can be, that God has created her to be. To always be championing, championing, I can't say the word, championing, championing. Yeah, it sounds like it doesn't matter. Championing her cause. The husband lives to serve and love his wife and give himself up for her, even to the point of dying for her, just as Christ died for us. That is, that is a big love. And too often over the centuries, people have used this passage as a way to subjugate women and to rule over women. 
And men usually come into a marriage as the more powerful ones in the marriage, not because qualitatively they are better, but because men generally earn more, men generally are stronger than women, physically stronger, and men generally have a a history of male privilege behind them when they get into a marriage. And so when they get into a marriage, often men will use their power in a way that is inappropriate. And people have used this verse to justify that, saying if a husband abuses his wife, well, he's just teaching her to submit. If a husband rules over his wife, he's just doing what the Bible says that he should do. Husbands use this verse to dominate their wives. That's entirely sinful. And you need to know, particularly if you are a woman, that there is never a point where a man can use this verse to abuse you in any way. If a man is verbally abusive, if the man is physically abusive, if a man is sexually abusive or spiritually abusive, he has no justification from the Bible to do this. You need to know that he is sinning against you. And what you should do as a response is to find someone who you can tell about this. You cannot leave his sin secret. Because an abusive husband or an abusive man in general will thrive on secrecy. So you need to tell someone. You need to talk to a counsellor. You can talk to a pastor. You can go to the police. But there is never a time when you should keep it secret. Not because you are sinful. You are not being punished. There is no justification for abuse. But you tell someone because you are helping yourself. If you have children, you are helping your children. And you are helping your husband or whoever it is that is abusing you. Because you are putting sin out in the open so there can be restoration and healing. Men, what this passage means is that you must love women. Particularly husbands, you need to love your wives. And you do it the way that Christ loved the church. You come into a relationship generally as the more powerful one. So you love as someone with more power. And how do you love with more power? You look at Jesus. Look at uh, what it says. I'll read it to you. This is what it says in John chapter 13. In the night before Jesus was arrested, it says that he had a meal with his disciples and says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. This is saying that Jesus knew that he had all the power in the universe. And the way that he just chooses to express all the power in the universe is to get down on his hands and his knees, to take the humble form of a servant and to wash his disciples' feet. There is no dominating there. There is only humble service. And as he humbly serves, what he is doing is he is giving a picture of what he is about to do at the cross. That is, he washes the disciples' feet in the form of a servant. He is going to go to the cross as a servant for we who do not deserve it. And he is going to die for us to wash us clean of our sins. 
That is how we love with power. We give ourselves up. And so this is who we model ourselves on. We model ourselves on Jesus. And it will cost us a lot. It may cost us everything we have. But we love because Jesus loved us. Marriage is not for husbands either. So if marriage is not for wives, and marriage is not for husbands, then what is marriage for? Marriage is for the gospel. If you look back at the passage, we see that Paul goes on to talk about this. He says, uh, in, in the same, the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he, love, he loves his wife, sorry, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. And what this is saying is that marriage is actually not about humans at all. At least it's not entirely about humans. Marriage is a picture of what God has done to save us. Marriage is a picture of God's love for humanity, and it always has been. And we didn't always understand that, but it was only until Jesus came and then Paul wrote about it to make it clear that we see that marriage is a picture of the gospel and God's love for us in that. And suddenly it becomes so much richer. When I was a kid, I used to love jokes. I loved jokes. I loved telling jokes. I did my very best to be funny. I wanted to be the funniest guy ever. And so I would keep trying out jokes with my friends. And I'd be like, is that funny? And they're like, no, that's not funny. I'm like, is that funny? No, that's funny. One of my, one of my favorite jokes uh, are you ready for it? This is the one I actually told when I was five. I said, why didn't the snowman melt? Because he was made out of wood. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's not. It's not funny. It's not a good joke at all. It's dumb. Snowman, that'd be a wood man, wouldn't it? Obviously. Uh, so it's not a good joke. And, and then there was this, this one joke, uh, which you know I, I knew and I would tell people. The joke was, why did the chicken cross the road? What's the answer? To get to the other side. And I was like, yeah, good. I understand that joke. It's about chicken crossing the road to get to the other side. It's great. That makes sense to me. And so I would tell that joke and I'd tell it, and not often, because it's not a very good joke. It's not funny. It's just like, yeah, it's to get to the other side. And so, you know, that's just a joke that kind of sat in my head, knowing that that existed out there. It was only until about two years ago that I understood the deeper meaning of that joke. I thought it was just about a chicken crossing the road. I thought it was just about the chicken was on one side of the road, and the chicken was like, oh, I'm going to go to that side of the road. Why did the chicken cross the road? To get to the other side. But then I found out that the chicken is not just trying to get to the other side of the road. The chicken is crossing the road to get hit by a car because the chicken is suicidal. The chicken wants to get to the other side of life. I was like, oh my goodness. This is, this is so deep. This is profound. This doesn't just speak about... Road safety. This talks about the mental health of chickens. It talks to us about how we care for animals. If a chicken is feeling suicidal, then we need to care for chickens, don't we? I need to buy more free-range eggs because chickens are in a place where they want to cross the road and get hit by a car. This is a chicken with a deep existential crisis going on. This is a deep... Deep joke. 
I didn't realize it, but now I do. And suddenly it's opened up a whole universe of meaning to me. Because I understand this joke, and I understand chickens, and I understand mental health better because of this joke. And I don't even know if we should be making this joke. I don't know if it is a joke when a chicken is feeling suicidal. We shouldn't joke about these things. This is a big deal. Now, the, chick, the, the chicken joke, it opens up to become something more when you understand the deeper meaning. And what happens with marriage is that for a while, marriage just seemed like it was about men and women getting together and living with each other and loving each other for, for their lifetime. And that was a beautiful thing and a beautiful gift from God to us. It was only until Jesus came that the deeper meaning of marriage opened up. And we saw that marriage is actually not about us at all. It is about the gospel. The deeper picture of marriage is about God's love for us. That God would love us like a husband should love his wife. That the way a husband cares for his wife, the way a wife submits to a husband, is like Christ loving us and us submitting to Christ. And so when we look at marriage, we see marriage not as being about us, but as being about the gospel. And so the reason that a husband loves his wife, and the reason that a wife submits to a husband, isn't really to, to, to help the wife or to help the husband, though these things happen. No, ultimately it's about saying, here is a picture of God's love for us. And so we submit and we love because this is us preaching the gospel to the world. We do marriage well because it is a picture of God's love for us. Marriage serves a greater purpose of pointing to God's love for us in Jesus. And that is why we must do marriage well. That is why those of us who are not married must cheer on those who are married to help them to do marriage well, to support them because we're saying, let me help you to support you in preaching the gospel. Because when we love well and when we submit well, we're saying this is what it's like for Christ to love us. We are a living parable. And that is a big deal. That is, that is a, a weight that is put on us. So we must do marriage properly. We must love properly and serve properly and care properly because we are entrusted with the gospel in the way that we've shown it. So I guess we need to Look at, you know, well, what does this mean then for us? Well, it means that if you are married, then your job is to do your marriage as best you can because it will be part of your love for your husband or your wife, but also because it will be part of your worship of God. Because you want in your marriage people to see God's love. Because even if you don't preach with your words from a stage, you better preach with your life. You better preach with your love. You'd better not be a person who stands before God and says, I abuse this gift that you gave me. You want to show your love properly by caring and loving for your spouse. If you're single and you think that in the future you might be getting married, then you need to be thinking about this as well. You need to be preparing yourself because you might get married. You may not, you might. And if you are, you need to be ready for that. If you are a woman, then it's good to start thinking through, well, if I'm going to marry someone, not just is he good looking, does he have excellent pecs, um, well, that is important, very important for marriage, <laughs> but thinking, is this someone who I can submit to? Because you're not told to submit to all men, but you're told to voluntarily choose to submit 
to your husband if you choose to marry him. And so when you think about who you're going to marry, say, is this someone I can love? Is this someone who loves me? Is this someone who cares for me? Is this someone who will not use their authority over me in a way that just benefits them? Will they serve me as Christ serves the church? And can I submit to them? And if you think that you can't, do not marry them. For men, what you need to do is you need to go, well, my job is to look at Jesus. Look at how he loves me and to practice loving other people like that. I need to practice serving others, whether I marriage them or not, whether I like them or not, whether they're male or female. I need to give myself up for others because, as we saw in the passage, we submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And so start giving yourself over to others because as you practice the love of Christ, you'll be better and better prepared to love your wife if God chooses to give you one. But for, our, for you who are single, you may be thinking about this and going, Ah, oh, man, this sucks so much because I'm always hearing about marriage and I don't know if I'm going to get married or I'm feeling lonely or whatever. The great thing about this is if marriage is about the gospel, then marriage is not a destination. It is just a signpost. It is pointing to something greater. It is pointing to the gospel of Jesus. And so your job if you are single is not to spend your time chasing after the destination of marriage, but chasing after what it's pointing to, and that is the gospel of Jesus. Because while married people get to preach the gospel in the way that they care for each other, single people get to preach the gospel in the way that they show the sufficiency of Christ. That they don't need someone else to complete them, they have Jesus. So if you are single, you have Jesus, and you can preach the gospel by saying, Jesus is enough. And once you are living out that Jesus is enough, then you are in a position to say, you know, my husband and wife doesn't need to be everything. They can just be one thing that helps me to know Jesus and love Jesus better and point other people to Jesus. Because marriage is a signpost. It's not a destination. And finally, if you are not a Christian, then what this means to you, whether you are married or not, you know that feeling within you that wants to be loved. We long to be loved. We love romantic love. We love other types of love. We love loving our pets and pets loving us. We love loving TV shows. We, we love being loved by our parents and loved by our friends. We love love. And all of love is a gift given to us by God. Romantic love is a gift given to us by God. But it too is a signpost to the greatest love, the love of God's. And as we strive for that love, we will not be fulfilled until we reach that love. Your romances will never be enough if you do not have Jesus. Your 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 relationships with anyone will not be enough if you do not have Jesus. Your, your marriage will not be enough if you do not have Jesus because your fulfillment is in Jesus and not in the love you get from other people. So seek Jesus and see how much he has loved you when he came and lived and died and rose again for you. Fill yourself up with that love so that all the other loves can take their place and you can enjoy the gift that Jesus has given to you. You need Jesus to know love as best you can. Marriage is a great gift from God, but it isn't for you. Marriage is not for wives. It's not for husbands. It's for the gospel. And so whoever we are and whatever relationship status we have, let's choose to see marriage as a context for God to preach the gospel to the world. And let's love and support marriage wherever we are at, so we can love and support the preaching of God's love to the world in the way that we care for each other.
All right, we uh, have time now to take some questions. So if you've been texting in, uh, then that's great. If you haven't and you still want to ask a question, you can text one in now. Uh, if you don't have any questions, if no one has any questions, that's okay too. I, I won't be offended. We have two questions. Excellent. All right, let's, uh, let's see what these questions are. How can wives choose the manner in which they submit, yet still ensure they're submitting and not controlling? So... When you, when you submit, it's, it's, I think, and I, I, actually I want to be careful here because I'm a husband and I'm, I'm not a wife, uh, and so I want to be careful in saying that this is from my perspective, and if you are like, yeah, I don't know what I agree with that, go find a wife, particularly one who is older and wiser than you, and talk to her about this. But how wives can choose the manner in which they submit, I think that you need, as a, as a wife, you need to spend time studying the Bible. You need to spend time looking at how the church submits to Christ and how the church doesn't control Christ, but how the church lives in uh, communion with Christ. And, and I know I'm, I'm really vague about this. And I'm deliberately vague because if I start saying, this is how you do it, this is how you do it, then it just becomes rules that you either you need to follow and you need to, you're either like, oh, Tom made this rule and I'm going to break it, or Tom made this rule so I have to stick to it. And, and I don't, I'm not the one who makes rules in your life. So study the Gospels. Study the epistles and look at the way the church lives in relationship with Jesus. And see that we do not control Jesus, but we, we live with Him and we ask Him for things, but also figure out where husbands are different from Jesus. And there are plenty of ways that husbands are different from Jesus. But think about what does it mean to say, all right, he, he is an authority for me, and so I will live under his authority. And now, often that will mean that husbands and wives choose to do life together and to con- consult each other, uh, usually because husbands and wives are equal. Wives will be, there will be plenty of wives who are smarter than their husbands, and so a husband uh, will hopefully choose to listen to his wife about things and to, to together make decisions. Uh, because of, because there is just because a husband the Bible says is the head does not make him better or smarter or any better at decision making or leading or any of those things. It's just what the Bible says. This is what it is. And so a husband will choose to do that, but a wife, because of her love for Christ and submitting to Christ, will choose to submit to her husband. I feel like that was a terrible answer. And if it was, then definitely go talk to someone other than me, because obviously I can answer the question. Alright, what's the next question? Has it changed? Yeah. Oh, it has. Oh, okay, oh, sorry. It's like it says husbands and wives in submission and controlling. I'm like, oh, yes, I've read those words before. How can husbands and wives best raise submission and controlling issues in conversation with one another? That's, that's a really good question. I think probably the best thing to do is to sit down, uh, probably with this passage, uh, maybe to sit down with an older couple who are wise wiser than you, smarter than you, uh, who have been doing marriage for longer than you, and to ask them how they do things, uh, and to ask them to help you raise those questions. Uh, it would be good for husbands to say to their wives, hey, how, how is my love for you going? Do you feel like I'm controlling you? Where do you feel like I'm controlling you? Do you feel like I'm leading you? Where do you need me to lead you? Because some people will be of the controlling kind and they will need to step back and see how they can uh, help 
uh, and serve and love the wife, other men will be of the standing back and saying, oh, I'll, I'll let you, you know, make all the decisions. Uh, and they will need to say, I, I'm for the sake of my wife, I will step forward and, and lead her how she wants to be led. And so have those conversations and husbands should ask their wives, how am I doing? But wives, you can also ask your husbands, how do you think I'm doing? And then listen. And then choose how you will respond. If you say, if a wife says to a husband, how do you think I'm doing in serving you, as submitting to you? And if the husband says, well, you're not doing the washing up enough, then you can be like, ah, that's what the Bible says, so we'll figure that out some more. Let's keep talking about it. Because, you know, we will get it wrong. But have the conversations and talk about it. And talk about it in conversation with the Bible, in conversation with prayer, and please, in conversation with people who are older and wiser than you, who do marriage, who've done it for longer and better than you. And, and they, they, that will help. Oh, we have two more questions. Oh, it keeps coming. How can we as a church help married couples do marriage well? Um, we have a young marriage group, uh, which uh, meets three times a term, which I think is a really good opportunity for uh, couples to get together and talk about things. The young married group does not mean that if you're not young and married, that you uh, it was like, well, you're not good enough for this group. It's just that there are some issues which come up for young marriage which don't come up for you if you're single. Um, I, I know Em and I went to young marriage together and we found it really helpful. I, if I'm honest, I went along at the beginning going, oh, young married, oh, that's weird. And then I came along and went, wow, there's a lot of great questions. We had great conversation out of it. So this is something that's really helpful for people within this church. Another thing though that you can do, whether you are married or single, is pray for married people. Uh, another thing you can do is, whether you're married or single, is make friends with married people. Married couples, especially young ones, tend to just go, oh, no, we'll just look after ourselves and, and disappear from socialising. We need each other. Uh, particularly, we need single people in our lives to say, look, there's more to life than just married people. And there's more to life than just people who are having kids. We need single people around us, so be friends with us. Pray for us and support us that way. We as a church uh, can do, do, need to do what we can. Another thing we should be doing, and which I did a little bit of tonight, is we need to be talking about things like domestic violence as a church. Because this is an issue that is all throughout uh, our society. And it's not just a rich issue or a poor issue. Uh, it needs to be talked about. It needs to be talked about in church. And we need to be talking about it with each other. Because the only way that we can make sure that this is an issue that is dealt with is if we talk about it. And make sure that there is space for people who are feeling abused to be able to speak safely to people about what is going on. So let's talk about marriage and encourage each other and love each other and build structures and, and just do things naturally uh, and to help marriage be done well. How do these lessons apply when one is a non-Christian or when the man is not working with the Lord as he should be? This is, uh, this is, this is definitely tricky. Now, one of the things that uh, Paul says in uh, the New Testament about marriage is that if there is a, a one, couple, one person in the couple who is a believer and one who is not a believer, that the, the conduct of the believer, the way that they love their husband or their wife, will preach to them about Jesus' love. And so, as a husband or a wife, the way that you love your husband or wife according to the biblical pattern, 
will be a way that you help them to see God's love. And so if you are married to someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, uh, then, then love them as best you can. Submit to them as best you can. When you submit, though, it doesn't mean that you do things which is against what the Bible says. The Bible never says that in your submission to anyone, whether that be uh, your husband or your wife or your boss or the, the earthly rulers or anyone else that you are called to submit to, that you break God's law. So you never choose to break God's law to submit to your husband or your wife. Or to, yeah, you never choose to do that in your love or your submission, but you still need to do it. Um, the other thing that you need to see, though, is that when it talks about submission, it says, particularly for wives, it says that the, the wife submits because of uh, her um, love for Christ, because of, what? because of her submission to Christ, the church's submission to Christ. So it's not about the husband. It doesn't say submit to your husband if he's, a, if he's a good guy or if he's a Christian. You submit to the husband because this is the pattern that Christ is, God has laid out for the church. But likewise, Husbands have to love their wives. There's no excuse for a husband to not love his wife just because she doesn't live the way God would like her to. And there's no excuse for a husband to say, well, I'm not going to love you because you're so disobedient. If, you know, like, the Bible's not saying make her obey you. It's saying you love her and you give yourself up for her. And so if your wife is someone who isn't a Christian, you continue to love her, continue to give yourself up for her. It will cost you. Because that's what you committed to when you married, that you will give yourself up for them. And let that cost be you preaching the gospel. And if it costs you from now until the day that you die, then you know that the Bible promises that when you get to heaven, you will receive a great reward. Because whatever you give up on earth, you will receive seven times more in heaven. That's what Jesus promises. And so love and love and love, because you are here for only a short time. So do it for this short time so that when you get to heaven you know that you have served God well and you have preached the gospel well with your words and with your actions. Alright, how about I pray for us and the band is going to come up uh, and lead us uh, in some singing. And let me just say, if you have more questions, feel free uh, to come and chat to me or go and chat to someone else. If you're like, I can think you completely misunderstood the passage, you are free to tell me and that's okay, you can still love Jesus and disagree with me, that's fine. Uh, how about I pray for us? And then we will sing together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have loved us and you've done it at the cross. Thank you that you gave yourself up for us. Thank you that we have been given marriage uh, not as something which is a selfish gift for us, but it is a gift to the world so that we can be a picture of your love I pray that we will love and honour marriage. I pray for anyone here who is a wife, that they will wrestle with this passage, and they will wrestle with their hearts, and they will submit themselves to you first and foremost, God, so that they may love and serve and submit to their husbands in the way that you call them to. May they do it out of obedience to you, rather than just because they've heard something that has been told to them from some preacher at the front. And I pray for husbands, God. They will help us to be people who love and worship you in the way that we love our lives. And we will not see marriage as a way for us to get ahead or get what we want, but as a way to love and to give ourselves up for our wives because you have loved us and given yourself up for us. And I pray for anyone here who is single, maybe who is thinking about marriage or not, but that they will see that 
marriage is a gift, but it's not everything. And we will all see that the greatest gift that you have is the gospel, and that marriage is just a signpost. And doing singleness well is just a signpost. And it's all to the destination of living in relationship with you from now to forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. I hope you love Jesus just that little bit more. If you want to get your hands on the Ephesians devotions, then head to tomfrench.com.au forward slash Ephesians. There you can also find my other books, videos, and plenty of other stuff. So feel free to check it out and don't forget to give this podcast a rating and review wherever you get your podcast so that other people might be able to discover it too. Till next time, have a good one.